um, communicating a prophetic sense of what I believe God is speaking to us as a faith community as we begin this new year of 2022. So I want to begin by reading um, Hebrews chapter 12, beginning in verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Verse three, consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint hearted. What an encouragement this has probably been to many of us for quite some time. I just want to point something out just as we begin I, I so love how the writer of Hebrews, whoever the mysterious writer might be, uh, we'll find out one day. But I just so love how the writer of Hebrews dials in to not just sin. We think about casting off the restraints of sin, but he talks about the weight and sin. So there's this interesting differentiation. And what I want for us to do this morning is just consider as I speak in our own lives, what are the weights and or what are the sins that tangle, that hinder, because the context is the race, brothers and sisters. The context is the race that has been put before us as believers. And that race is not just one that will find its culmination at Christ's return or upon our death, but it includes the now, it includes the present. What are the weights and the hindrances or what are the sins and the weights that keep us, that tangle us? And, and the, 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 the kind of landing point of this portion of these three verses is that third and final verse where it says, and we look to him, consider him who endured. And so there's an object of our striving and an object of our seeking. And so in the sense, while this year is going to be 2022 will be like every other year in many senses of our life. Sometimes I think we make too big of a deal about the changing of a calendar year. In many senses, it will be just the same. But the reality remains that for us, there will be things that are new to apply faith towards. There will be things that God has ordained for our path in this coming year that are going to necessitate a greater degree, church, a greater degree of faith than you have lived with or walked in. That fact is true. We will face things that will require a greater degree of faith than we have had in the past. So my prayer for us is to do just as what we have heard the writer say, to lay aside every weight, to lay aside every sin, that which clings, he says, or other translations say hinder, looking to Jesus as the founder and the finisher of our faith. And as I've been recently saying in a couple of weeks ago, and even I think I said it this last week, it's the habit of God's people for thousands and thousands of years to be those who look back or to remember, as God would say to the Israelites, reminding ourselves what God has done, reminding ourselves of the work of God, the power of God, the faithfulness of God, as we've sung this morning, reminding ourselves through what he has done. That's a habit 
of God's people. But I will tell you this morning too, church, it is also a habit for us to look forward. Just as the the momentum and the trajectory of Hebrews 12, it has great force in moving forward and taking hold of as we're casting off and throwing aside restraints. It is also the habit of God's people to be those who look for, who seek and long and strive to see that which God has yet to do. That is also a habit of ours. And I believe that that definition, that habit, if you will, is what it means to be a prophetic people, which is what we are. A prophetic people are those whom the transcendent, omnipotent God has chosen to speak to concerning that which is, that which was, and even sometimes the things that have yet to become. God in his sovereign plan and, and, and perfect, perfect plan reveals things to us or puts within us faith to take hold of things that, have, that are yet to be. And that's what it means to be a prophetic people. So what I want to do today is do a bit of prophetic straining, looking forward, seeing and seeking God for what will be in this 2022. And so as I thought of this for this coming year, and as I, I, I decided I wanted to begin in this way, I began to ask God, who are we as a community? Who are we as a church? What, what is distinct about who we are? And what requires more faith and growth in our life to become more of who you have created us to be? And I sensed that there was four attributes that are a part of our DNA as a local church that God has given to us, that he wants us to grow in and to mature in this coming year. And the four things are this, and then I'm going to expound by using this illustration of the cloud of witnesses um, from scripture itself. The first is courage, the attribute of courage. But more specifically, I felt and sense that God was calling us to increase in a courage to take the land is language that is used that we'll look at. Or to take new ground, that which God has called for us to take and that which is ours to both occupy and hold as part of his territory and part of his kingdom. Courage to take new ground, church. The second is resolve. Resolve to grow in righteousness. It's a righteous resolve. It's not just a a determination to be resolute, but it is a resolve in righteousness. One where it does not bend, it does not compromise in the face of adversity, but instead it holds fast, honoring and glorifying God as its ultimate aim. A resolve in righteousness, I felt he was calling us to. The third, what we've already talked about this morning, is being a a people of presence. Presence. We are purposed, church, to be a people who live in and exhibit the powerful presence of the living God. That's not just unique to Capital City Church. That's God's design for his church. But I feel that that is God speaking to us in a timely way right now to be a people of presence. Can I just say, like, great job this morning, you guys. 
just in terms of your willingness to step forward. And I was so blessed to just to really have a sense of a togetherness this morning as we pursued God in our singing. Maybe we should tell the elders to stay away. And I'll just stay up there and we'll turn this over to each other, right? But it's that type, it's those, it's those types of steps in faith that it is, are going to necessitate, that, that are necessi- necessary. I'm going to get it here. It's those types of steps of faith that are necessary in order for us to grow in this being and experiencing being a people of presence. And the third, sorry, the fourth is dedication. To grow as a people who are radically dedicated to the work of the Lord. To the work of the Lord. Who are prepared for it. They're willing to do it. And they're filled with the intent to accomplish the Lord's work. And I'm going to expound on that as well here in a moment. And so to develop each one of these, I wanted to consider four individuals from Scripture whose lives embodied each of these four attributes in a significant way. Brothers and sisters, the the cloud of witnesses is meant to be an incredible faith-stirring and invigorating reality for the life of a believer. The, the, The accounts of the men and women who did bold and mighty things for God are not just fluff stories that we go like, oh, that's pretty cool. I'll never walk in that way. These are ordinary men and women whose lives are recorded and whose acts are recorded for a purpose. And Paul tells us that the things happen for our sake. This is the cloud of witnesses, church, that surround us today. They are giants whose shoulders we stand upon, whose efforts and endeavors and faith accomplishments made a way for us today. And and us, like them, God willing, we too will be those whom others will stand upon in the generations to come. Let's broaden our, our, our sights, if you will, and stop nasal gazing and begin to look forward to what God is doing in a bigger way. So let's look at the first. I'm going to try to do this relatively quickly. The first is courage to take the land. Turn with me, please. We're going to uh, do this a lot today with our fingers, so I hope you worked out your thumbs this morning. I want you to turn to the book of Joshua, and we're going to look at the man, Joshua. Courage to take the land. Courage to take the ground that God has given. Joshua was, was a man of great courage. It's, we'll see here it's a descriptive that is used to identify his life. He was chosen by God to lead the people of Israel into the land that God had promised them. Moses, as we know, was not allowed to enter into the land of promise, but instead Joshua was chosen as the, as, as the one who would lead God's people. So looking at Joshua beginning in chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, the son of Nun, Moses' assistant, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now therefore, arise. Go over this Jordan, you and all this people, into the land that I am giving to them, to the people of Israel. Every place that the sole of your foot will tread upon, I have given to you just as I promised. Underline that, verse 3. Now skip down to verse 6. 
be strong and courageous for you shall cause this people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers to give them. Only be strong and very courageous, being careful to do according to all the law that Moses, my servant, commanded you. Do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may have good success wherever you go. This book of the law shall not depart from your mouth, but you shall meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do according to all that is written in it. For then you will make your way prosperous, and then you will have good success. Have I not commanded you, the Lord says, be strong and courageous, do not be frightened, and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. We have to remember that Joshua came to the forefront of Israel's story in Numbers chapter 13. When Moses sends one man, he chooses one man from each tribe to be sent into the land that was theirs to occupy, to spy out the land, was their mission. And when they came back after 40 days, all but two of the men, Joshua and Caleb, lacked the courage and the faith that was necessary to go in and to actually occupy the land. They were called in for various reasons. It was too difficult. The people were too big, literally too large. They were, they were afraid of what it would take, despite the fact that the Lord said, this land is yours. Do not be afraid. And he says to them, or it records in Numbers chapter 13, that Caleb and Joshua said to the people this, the land which we passed through to spy it out. It's the, the people, what they've done is, when, when the men came back and they gave their negative report, the people began, the people of Israel began to cry and to weep. And Joshua and Caleb saw the unbelief and it says that they tore their clothes. And this is what they said to them. The land which we passed through to spy it out is an exceedingly good land. If the Lord delights in us, he will bring us into this land and give it to us, a land that flows with milk and honey. And this is what I want us to hear this morning. Only, church, do not rebel against the Lord and do not fear the people of the land for they are bred for us. Their protection is removed from them and the Lord is with us. Do not fear them. Church, I don't know if God has determined this year for us to occupy literally a new land. He might very well have. But regardless of that point, the need for preparation and the need for courage to take new ground is required for us as a people. It should be a distinctive of God's people, a readiness and a boldness to take that which is rightfully God's that he has called the church to take. There's always ground to be taken for the kingdom of God, right? The ground that the church is called to take, brothers and sisters, on a regular basis is the hearts and the minds of men and women who are unbelieving. That is the ground upon which the battle is waged. It's the hearts and the minds of the unbelievers. This is where the gospel of Jesus Christ is shown to be powerful and shown to be strong. And just as Joshua would say to the people of Israel, so God says to us this morning, do not fear the people of the land for their protection is removed from them. And as I read that, I thought about that's the, what Jesus's words were in Mark, where he says that no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his goods unless he first binds the strong man. 
Brothers and sisters, do you understand that Jesus Christ through the cross bound the strong man that is Satan himself? Satan is bound. Satan is limited in his power because of the cross and Christ triumphing over him through his cross. And now his reach only extends as far out as God sovereignly allows to accomplish what he wills in this day and age. The strong man is bound, church. Do not be afraid. We must not be afraid. God has called us to take this ground. God has called us to take his gospel to the unbelieving, to see them one for Christ. And just as I would say, do not fear the people of the land, I would also say this to us this morning. Do not rebel against the Lord. Failing, failing to take that which he has commanded and that which is given is disobedience itself. And that's just to remind us of the necessity of what we are to be about, be about as a people of God. The mission that we are called to as the people of God. There's also a matter of inheritance. In Joshua 1.6, God says to Joshua, be strong and courageous for you shall cause the people to inherit the land that I swore to their fathers. Joshua's call to courage is on the basis of God's oath and God's promise. Listen, Joshua's call to courage is on the basis of God's promise, church. What was that promise? That there was a land that was theirs to take. Promised to Abraham and held to be true throughout the generations until the time when God had determined it. In Genesis 12, God swore to Abraham that his offspring would be an inheritance and that through his offspring, all of the families of the earth would be blessed. Church, we are the offspring of Abraham. We are the blessing to the nations of the earth. That's God's intent through his church to be a fulfillment of the Abrahamic promise. This is our land to take, church. We just must have the courage. Do not fear those who are in the land. For their protection has been removed, and he says, and they will be like bread for us. Easy to consume. Easy for the Lord to consume. And so I just felt very simply that reminder and that encouragement for us to find courage in that which the Lord has called. And brothers and sisters, I believe that the Lord is going to place mountains in front of us this year for us to run at in faith. And that's going to necessitate courage as well. Even just what I said before beginning this morning of us sending Rick and Kathy with faith for an extended period of time, that is a mountain to run at. Are we going to just be passive and say, ah, all right, have fun. I wish I was going to Southern California. Or do we see it as a moment to engage and say, listen, there is land to be taken in Fullerton. Let's engage in this way. We have an opportunity to do this. We have an opportunity to engage in such a way. I think there's gonna be more like this. May the Lord just muster this up within us. The second, resolve in righteousness. Turn to 2 Kings, would you please? 2 Kings. 
after Samuel, 2 Samuel, after 1 Kings, 2 Kings. Chapter 18. I'm going to read verses 1 through 7. In the third year of Hoshea, son of Elah, 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 king of Israel, Hezekiah, the son of Ahaz, king of Judah, began to reign. He was 25 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned for 29 years in Jerusalem. His mother's name was Abby, the daughter of Zechariah. And it says this, and he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord, according to all that David, his father, had done. He removed the high places and broke the pillars and cut down the Asherah, and he broke in pieces the bronze serpent that Moses had made. For until those days, the people of Israel had made offerings to it. It was called Nehushtan. Verse five, he trusted the Lord, the God of Israel, so that there was none like him among all the kings of Judah after him, nor among those who were before him, for he held fast to the Lord. He did not depart from following him, but he kept his commandments and the Lord, excuse me, and he kept the commandments that the Lord commanded Moses. Verse seven, and the Lord was with him wherever he went, it says that he prospered. Hezekiah joins a very, very, very short list of kings who were righteous and did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. In the span from a, a early 9th century BC until late 5th century BC. So what is that like? It's almost 400 years. It's just shy more or less. There's literally like four or five kings who reigned after the split of the two kingdoms, who would rule over Judah in a way that was right and righteous before God. And he comes after his father Ahaz, who ruled, and it says, did evil in God's sight. He closed the door of the temple, he plundered its goods, he desecrated it, and he reinstated pagan idol worship in the high places. And he even practiced the sacrificing of his own children to the Canaanite god Moloch. This is Hezekiah's father. And it says, but what? And then the Lord brings Hezekiah to his people. And it says that Hezekiah was a man whose resolve was not only to do right, but was to see the authentic worship of the people of Israel to their God, Yahweh, given back to them once again. And in 2 Chronicles, it records that in the first month of the year of Hezekiah's reign, this is what he did. The first month of the first year, so basically right away, what does Hezekiah do? He comes in, he opens the door of the house of the Lord, and he repairs them. He brought in the Levites and the priests, and he assembled them in the square on the east side, and he said to them, consecrate yourselves, get ready, brothers, and consecrate the house of the Lord the God of your fathers, and carry out the filth from the holy place. Church, this is what I felt like the Lord was saying to us. This type of unwavering resolve in righteousness that we must grow in. Like Hezekiah, to, to root out that which is not of God and to pursue and to live in the authentic and the unadulterated, which is what we were endeavoring to teach through in that series called Sheer Christianity a few months back. That, that pure and unadulterated resolve 
that has been ours as a church, I believe, for years. But now God is calling us to even a greater degree of resolve. I believe that this is what it's going to take, church, to be the people of God in this 21st century. Do you sense any of that in your own spirit and heart? I know that some of you do. I've talked with some of you. Hezekiah's reign was earmarked but what, by what he did in removing the impurities from the temple and seeking righteousness at any cost whatsoever. If we could just lead the way in this church, if we could be a people out at the tip of the spear, and I know that there's some of you who already feel like that you live out at the tip of that spear, but I think there's a reason why God has placed you in this church because this is part of what he has called us to be. No more compromising to idolatry. No more filth, church, in God's temple. In God's temple. No more worldliness. Tear down the high places in your hearts, brothers and sisters. The places that we offer worship to false gods. What are the sins? What are the weights that entangle us, brothers and sisters? What are the places today that we've erected the golden serpents that God gave for good? Interesting, isn't it? Excuse me. Sorry. That which God gave for good, but we've turned into altars for idolatry. What about, what about the altars? Listen, the altars that we place our families upon from time to time, where we've sacrificed our children, if you will. That sounds totally barbaric, but just hear what I'm saying. Where we've placed our kids as offerings unto worldly sacrifices where we've placed hobbies and sports and leisure and things that culture promotes as being ultimate, we've placed our families upon those things at times. I think this, this is what God is calling us to. And if you're a part of this church, I think that this resounds within you to some degree. And if you're visiting this church, this might just freak the heck out of you. <laughs> and you're going to say, I'm going to that big church in Granite Bay because they probably don't say this. I don't know. May what was said of Hezekiah be said of us. It says this, 2 Chronicles 31.20, that he did what was right. And in 21, that he sought God in every work. Listen, he did what was right. He sought God in every work. And it says in 2 Kings 19, that he trusted and held fast. Resolve, brothers and sisters, resolve. We're not going to bend. We're not going to capitulate. We're not going to allow these things to remain within us because God requires a pure and desires a pure bride. That's who he is returning for. And sometimes I think it's even in the, in, in the halls of our own faith that we talk to other believers and they're like, man, why didn't you just let up on this a bit? 
what, you're like so intense about A, B, or C. Just, just relax. Brothers and sisters, I don't think we've got time to relax. I don't. I don't think we do. And I would just say this last thing. The world is doing this very thing. It's ratcheting up its efforts. It's becoming more militant. Its lines are very clearly drawn, right? Why can't we do the same? We must do the same. It's what differentiates us from them in part. Let's be clear. Let's be unwavering. In the name of inclusivity, we're marginalized within culture because we are righteous. May we grow in our resolve for righteousness. Let me move quickly. The next is presence, and I'll move through this one faster because I've spoken much about this, and I would just encourage you again. There was a preach that I gave uh, before Advent. In fact, if I'm not mistaken, I think it was the Sunday right before Advent. That would be like the 21st of November, right around there, where I talked about worship in the kingdom of God. That, go back and listen to that again to get more of what I'm kind of pointing at this morning. But God's powerful and tangible presence was a primary distinctive of the people of Israel after their captivity in Egypt and of Moses' leadership as he led them towards the land of promise. And so we're not going to take the time this morning to read all the different texts, but I just want to point us to one. So turn in your Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 33, because it, Moses summarizes it so perfectly what God's people ought to expect and how we are to live in terms of the presence of God. Exodus chapter 33, and you can go to verse 14. I'm gonna read verses 14 through 17. And he said, this is the Lord speaking, my presence will go with you and I will give you rest. And he said to him, if your presence will not go with me, Do not bring us up from here, Moses says. For how shall it be known that I have found favor in your sight, I and your people? And I love what Moses says here. Is it not, is it not in your going with us so that we are distinct? I and your people from every other people on the face of the earth. Church, is it not in his going with us that we are distinct from the other people on the face of this earth? Is that not true? Does that not earmark his people? The distinctiveness of his tangible, invisible presence with his people. May I just say this again? The manifest presence of God has always been, among his people has always been God's intention. We saw it in the beginning in creation We see it again at the end in the new, in the recreation when God makes all things new again. We see it again there and we see it presently where God makes a way to be among his people. It is God's plan that his presence would dwell among and in his people. Can we go beyond just understanding it? And like this morning, can we expect it in faith and pursue it with a level of, of diligence. To be a people whose God's, who God's presence is so dramatically seen and felt amongst. And I just felt like God 
was saying to us today as I was preparing, no more fleshly pursuits. Just hear me, please. No, no more fleshly efforts. And what I mean by that is the spirit of God indwells us. May we walk in the spirit. May we live in the spirit. May we speak under the unction of the spirit and may we worship together in the spirit of God. Do you know what I mean by that? Where God is among us, where God is speaking, where God speaking to us becomes primary and necessary and, and we will not leave until we have taken hold of him in some way or another. That's why we come into this place on Sundays. We come because everything within us cries out desperately to experience the tangible presence of God in a meaningful way because it reminds us that we are his and it reminds us that he goes before us. And I, I also just felt like God said this to me as well, that this will be a growing distinctive of this church if we allow it to be. Listen, if we allow it. Well, isn't God sovereign? Yes, he is. But do we not play a part in his sovereign plan by our free will? Church, if we allow it, will we allow God to be God in his church? Yes. Let's do it together. And lastly, dedication, the work, dedication to the work of the Lord. And I want to use Nehemiah as our example. And so turn to the book of Nehemiah. And as we're turning there, I'll just say that I'm, I'm really looking forward. I've decided that we're going to make our next series a study through Ezra and Nehemiah back to back. And I just believe that a bit of what I'm about to touch on here in this moment, um, God is going to really dig deep within us in the coming months as we give ourselves to it. So Nehemiah comes right after Ezra. Surprise, surprise. Chapter two, let me read this. This is um, chapter two, verse 17. It says this, then I said to them, this is Nehemiah speaking to the people. You see the trouble we are in now, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. Come, he says, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. And then turn to chapter 14. Sorry, chapter four, verse 15. And it says, this is Nehemiah saying, when our enemies heard that it was known to us that the God had frustrated their plan, that God had frustrated their plan, we all returned to the wall, each to his work. From that day on, half of my servants worked on construction and half held the spears, shields, bows, and coats of mail. And the leaders stood behind the whole house of Judah who were building on the wall. Those who carried burdens were loaded in such a way that each labored on the work with one hand and held his weapon in the other. What an amazing picture that is, church. And each of the builders had his sword strapped at his side while he built. The man who sounded the trumpet was beside me and I said to the nobles and to the officials and to the rest of the people, the work is great and widely spread and we are separated on the wall far from one another. In the place where you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there and he says what? Our God will fight for us. And he says, so we labored at the work and half of them held the spears from the break of dawn until the stars came out. I also said to the people at that time, let every man 
and his servant pass the night within Jerusalem that they may be a guard for us by night and may labor by day. So neither I nor my brothers nor my servants nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us took off our clothes. Each kept his weapon at his right hand. What an amazing account of this, this absolute intent, a resolve, if you will, to be about the Lord's work. To not see the walls sit in disrepair. And the two things, just quickly, that struck me from this passage. The first was what we saw in the beginning in that first portion. It was the immediate response of the people. He says, let's do this. We must do this. And the people responded immediately and said, yes, this is the Lord. We will. And the second was the preparedness of the people to both work and to war simultaneous. And, and as we study through Nehemiah, we'll take more time and opportunity to kind of dig into that and understand of what that's meant. But if I can just say, brothers and sisters, that this dedication that I'm speaking of this morning came as Nehemiah spoke in Nehemiah's example it comes from the high value for the city itself, the dwelling place of God and what was once the people's place of security now lying in ruins. He says, let us build back the walls so that their state would no longer be to their mockery. And as I was thinking about what God is calling us to church, is that not what God calls us to, to labor alongside of him in his work that, the, that his church would not be a mockery. The walls lying in disarray speaks two things. To those outside, it speaks vulnerability, right? To those outside of the walls, outside of the church, when the church is in disarray, it speaks vulnerability. And it speaks wrongly of who God is. And to the people inside, it speaks insecurity. But what God is calling us to, brothers and sisters, is an intent in our hearts and minds to be about his work. To be about building up of his church, co-laboring with him. And I also felt too that God said to me in this, he, I, I feel like he said, test me, church. Test me and see how I will answer you. Dedicate yourselves to the labor of my work in a new way. Dedicate yourselves to the labor of my work in a greater way, church, and watch me do things. Watch me, watch me build this church in a way that you can only imagine. And don't fear opposition, because as Nehemiah said to the people, as he reminded them that our God will fight for us. It's God's battle. It's God's church. It's his to build. We only labor alongside and with him. And so what's this dedication perhaps? I think that it could be different for each one of us. So when I say dedicate ourselves to the work and when I say that I believe that God is calling us to a greater degree of dedication, I think it can vary from person to person. And I think you know what that looks like in your own heart. I think for some, it could be a dedication of priorities and commitment. I think for others, it could be a dedication of finance or the giving of your treasure, if you will, resource. 
I think for others, it could be the dedication of giving yourself unto others. There's places where we have disengaged from laboring with God, that God calls us to re-engage with him in and watch what he will do. I believe it, church. I believe this is what God is speaking to us. I believe these things that I'm speaking about this morning, this courage to take that which is ours as an inheritance, being a people of presence, being a resolve in absolute righteousness and an unwillingness to be defiled by this world and by the culture and by being radically devoted to the work of God, I believe that these are distinctives of this church. And I believe that as we give ourselves in faith and as we pursue them together, as opportunity arises, I think that we're gonna see God do wonderful things. And I believe that he is going to build this church in 2022 in a way that we've not expected. And I'm believing him for that, and I'm asking that you guys would believe in that with me as well. May this be under the glory of his name, right? Do we do these things for any other reason? God help us know. We do them for his glory, for his name, that others would come into the fold, that others would be known by him and would know him. May he grant us the grace to be such a people, amen? Let's come to the Lord's table this morning just with this sense of resolve in our hearts. And, and if I may say, just as, as we're getting ready, if, if a couple people could just grab the elements and um, put them in place. If I can just say this to us, church, take that this morning which makes you anxious, that you find difficult, perhaps that cut across the grain, that which you're wrestling with, take that this morning and bring it to the Lord's table. And by that, I mean, allow the Lord to deal with you. I don't deal with you, church. God deals with us. I just believe that I speak obediently and then I trust that God will do what he needs to do in us. But let's come to the Lord's table this morning with just a resolve of faith in our hearts to pursue these things. Courage, resolve, presence, and devotion. Amen?